Hello, I'm Harriet Smith and welcome back to Dietitian Cafe where we discuss the world of nutrition and dietetics. In this episode, I'm joined by a dietitian duo, Anjani Coley and Jasmine Carbon. They are both huge advocates for diversifying dietetics and are passionate about promoting inclusivity and equality both in their day-to-day work and amongst the wider profession. Please note that all themes and topics discussed in this podcast are based on their own personal views. We hope that you enjoy this episode. Hi ladies, thank you very much for joining us today. Hi. Hi. <laughs> so I wanted to ask you both if you could perhaps introduce yourselves briefly and your, your backgrounds as dietitians, perhaps if we begin with Jasmine. Great, thank you. Um, yes, yeah, so my name is Jasmine Carvin. I graduated in 2015 from University of Surrey. Um, after graduating, I then moved to Sheffield, where I did my band five and band six posts. And then um, so I did a bit of um, kind of stroke neuromedicine and then also renal. And then I moved to London, where I became a community dietitian. And that's my current speciality at the moment. I, in, I guess in my spare time, you could say I enjoy um, cooking, trying new foods and um, trying new cooking techniques really love to travel be it across the UK or to different countries um just learn about different cultures and um, different cuisines it's a bit about me brilliant thanks for joining us okay um thanks for having me as well so I'm Anjani um so I graduated from the University of Nottingham in 2019 um so I've always worked in the NHS in my professional uh, career At the moment, I work as a community paediatric dietitian. And before that, I also I worked as a a split uh, community dietitian, but in adults and in paediatrics as well, with a little bit of inpatient paediatrics, too. Um, In terms of in my spare time, I'd probably also say quite similar to Jasmine as well, in that I quite enjoy cooking, too. Um, It's mostly cooking like cultural dishes and also just trying to find out how to make them a little bit healthier. And also sharing that on social media too, which is something that we'll talk about in a little while, I'm sure. Yeah, definitely. In fact, that leads me on nicely to one of my first questions to you both, which is um, why do you think that having a professional presence on social media is important for sharing issues and topics that you're passionate about within the dietetic profession? To be honest, I do think it's quite important because you kind of reach a bit of a wider audience. Um, So I'm connecting with people that I might not have come connected to on a, on a day-to-day basis. Um, I think in general, it was quite good in allowing me to join the net, general network of dietitians and student dietitians that are out there. Um, and then also networking with other people that find this topic quite important, like Jasmine, that we came across each other again, because previously she mentioned about Sheffield. She was actually my supervisor when I was on placement in Sheffield. Um, so it allows you to network with other people that also share passions in the same area. Um, and then we work together and events are organized that challenge the lack of diversity. So we've got some coming up as well. Um, and then personally, I get to use my social media to share educational posts. So that could be about issues that affect the South Asian community and also nutritional information that affect my culture as well. Um, and I've been told by like healthcare professionals and student dietitians as well that it helps educate them on dishes that might that they might not have come across prior to to like looking on social media. Definitely. I was going to ask you who the majority of your followers are. Do you find it's other dietitians and student dietitians or also the m- members of the general public? 
Um, when I first started out, I would say because of the other people that I was following, it was mostly student dietitians and dietitians. But but now it's more people that are from the general public as well, which I which I think is quite good for the educational aspect as well. Definitely, it gives you a huge platform to be able to reach people and, and discuss topics that perhaps are not broadly discussed um, in other areas. Jasmine, what what have your experiences been um, being a, a prominent dietitian on social media? Yeah, definitely. I think I just want to echo everything that um, Anjani has said and also kind of gives you an opportunity to speak and connect with students who might be interested in dietetics. And um, I guess maybe not, maybe they weren't too sure about um, what it would be like for them to go into dietetics. It all also um, breaks the stereotype of what a dietitian might look like. Um, so I guess to have a diverse um number of dietitians you know kind of prominent on social media really does kind of give people a wider view of um, what a dietitian could quote unquote look like um, and just to show that there isn't you know kind of a cookie cutter type dietitian we all come in different shapes and sizes we all specialize in you know loads of different things we all have different interests so social media has definitely been able to um, break a lot of um, barriers so Jasmine, based, based on what you just said, I'm wondering where your passion for inclusivity and equality amongst the dietetic profession comes from. Yeah, so it's um, kind of started off from um, me noticing that I was one of very few um, non-white dietitians within my course. And then because of that, there was um, there, well, there could have been a potential for um, miscommunication between um, kind of students and supervisors, students and lecturers. Um, like I said, I was quite lucky in that I didn't have any difficulties throughout my training or throughout my um, course. But um, I know colleagues who have had some um, difficulties within their training. So um, I wanted to, to, I guess, raise the profile of dietitians who are from different backgrounds. And also, um, yeah, this kind of gives students the opportunity, the opportunity to see that you can come from any background. You don't need to be the um, stereotypical dietitian that, you know, people would see when they Google search um, what a dietitian does. <laughs> um, and it also kind of creates an opportunity for members of the public to see dietitians who might be of the same um, cultural background as them or of the same um, kind of country of, of origin as them as well. So um, but kind of being able to speak with them about healthy eating with regards to foods that they are culturally accustomed to and are used to and know about, it can almost makes it easier to build rapport with some patients. So, um, yeah, that's what I'd have to say. Thank you for sharing that. And Anjani, is it, is it the same for yourself? Have you used your platforms and your presence on social media, for example, to address um, inclusivity and equality in dietetics? Yeah, de definitely. I would say that I agree again with a lot of what Jasmine said. Um, and I do think it's important that we do use our platforms to address the lack of diversity in dietetics. So that's not just through like ethnicity. It can also be like through gender as well, because, you know, there's I think there was kind of a running joke that in our cohort at university out of 30 people, only six of them were men. And we were told that that was actually like an all time high. In, in all honesty yeah that's what we were told um yeah. so you know like that's quite quite shocking really um so I just thought that it is important to get that out there as well so there's lots of male dietitians on social media that, that are that are definitely paving the way just just showing look there are men in the profession too um and then like what Jasmine said as well when I was looking to apply for dietitics myself when I kind of did the google searches and had a look I couldn't really see myself 
in what I was looking at online and also like when I was at university as well, um, which obviously it, it's not exactly a bad thing. Like Jasmine said, I didn't have any negative experiences, but then looking back, you kind of notice, oh, in our practicals, we were taught to make certain dishes, but then there were ang anglicized versions of the dishes. So they weren't, so they weren't like traditional like dishes. Um, and also say, for example, like, like my own name, like I always kind of changed it. So it's not Anjani, it's Anna, just to make it easier for other people to pronounce. So I just think like, we shouldn't be kind of minimizing ourselves, you know, in terms of, we should actually just say, no, this is who we are and this is what we're bringing because it's not always a bad thing as well. Um, and in terms of barriers, like, like we'd kind of mentioned earlier on, I feel like it's important for patients to be able to see themselves in their healthcare professional as well, um, because they might think, oh, I've been doing a lot of telephone converse conversations at the moment and consultations because of COVID. And then I might introduce myself as Anna. And if they start talking about cultural foods, they'll say, oh, actually, uh, you don't know what a chapati is or you don't know what this is. I won't I won't talk about it. And then I say, no, no, actually, like my heritage is, is Punjabi. Like you could talk to me about about your foods because I'll understand. So I think that it makes people a lot more open in, in kind of talking about any issues that they might have and more open to seeking help as well. And what's your experiences been when you've been sharing that information with your patients on a personal level? Is it is it well received, I imagine? Yeah, I think it depends on where, where we're working. So the trust where I am at the moment is very culturally diverse, so I would say yes. Um, and then also amongst colleagues as well, they're very open to hearing more and like learning more. But in my previous trust, I would say um, probably not so much more from patients. There might be little um, like microaggressions, say, say, for example, they might say, oh, if you're taking a diet history, I've actually had a patient say, um, oh, no, I don't eat any of that foreign stuff. When I talked about rice or pasta or something like that, um, or some of them might say something like, um, they'll say, oh, you'll like this. I put garlic on my cheese on toast as well, the seasoning. I should be excited that they use seasoning. So, you know, that, that kind of thing. So that was a kind of positive um, way, I would say. But, but you do. It depends on where you're working, definitely. Absolutely. And that brings me back to a point from earlier. Why do you think that there is this lack of diversity in, in the dietetic profession? We've talked about it being predominantly female profession, for example. Um, do either of you have any thoughts as to why we're lacking this diversity in dietetics? I think healthcare in general is quite a female dominated profession anyway. So I think um, that in itself always going to kind of get females more leading towards healthcare, caregiving type of roles without it being gender stereotyped. It's just how it is at the moment. And because of that stereotype, that's what more women tend to kind of go into. Um, in terms of the lack of cultural diversity, again, I think it's just because different cultures don't know it exists and they don't know it's them. They don't know it's an option. Um, so I think kind of, um, this, I think, and I think this is why it's so important to raise a profile of dietitians from um, kind of secondary schools through to colleges. So you're kind of getting um, people from different backgrounds, different areas, different um, communities to be one aware that dietitians exist. And, you know, we're registered professionals, are experts in nutrition, in nutrition. So I think we need to raise that, and then also to have it there as an option that they, if they do want to study it it is um, achievable and it is something that they can pursue. So um, I think it's yeah, just really um, 
doing a bit more of um, kind of raising the dietitian flags but within different groups. Yeah, and we'll come on to that later because I know both of you have been involved in some really great initiatives to raise the profile of dietitians and especially this the lack of diversity in the profession. Just before we move on to that, um, Anjani, how did you? What was your experience as being a student dietitian um, and the challenges that you faced and your colleagues and other student dietitians face as being BAME dietitians? What were your first-hand experiences of that? Um, I think as a student, I would say that, that thankfully I didn't really have any, any many negative experiences. Um, but I would say it also depends on, on where you are as well. Um, I think sometimes it's, it's quite difficult to raise the topic of diversity unless you've got a receptive audience to it. So um, in a previous trust, I'd raised the topic of doing like public health talks in temples and things and reaching um, populations that I thought wouldn't overly be reached and I it was initially well received but nothing really came of it um but in my current trust it was actively encouraged so I would say that that's that's really good so it depends on where you are um which is why I've begun uh, certain initiatives in in my trust at the moment um and then like I said earlier on in terms of um through patients maybe sometimes there's been some resistance again depending on the area and what kind of culture they're used to um so it is it is quite a tough one. It just depends on your audience. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. And Jasmine, um, what role do you think that you play as a dietitian in promoting inclusivity and equality, not just amongst your fellow dietitians in your hospital team, but also amongst your patients? And do you have any examples or case studies that you can perhaps share with us as to how you've gone about doing that in Lambeth? Yeah, I think um, dietitians are kind of well placed to, you know, raise a profile of dietitians and particularly um, kind of flagging the need for increased um, diversity. Um, so like you, know, like you said, I currently work in a trust that covers Lambeth, um, London Borough, which is um, a particularly um, diverse borough. So we've got patients from all different backgrounds um, kind of and speaking in you know, a multitude of languages. So um I think one of the key things that's really important as a trust and as a department to have is um, a collection of resources that are culturally appropriate. So we're making sure that the advice that we are giving, although we, it might have been, we might have been trained to give Eurocentric dietary advice, that we are now tailoring it to our patient group. Um, and so be it, and we're also kind of considering um, family circumstances, financial circumstances, religious um backgrounds as well so we're taking all of that into account when we're giving our dietetic advice um, making sure that our resources are available in different languages and if they're not available in different languages having access to a translator who can now give that our information kind of in the you know kind of um, best language for the, the for the patient so I think we, yeah, we definitely have a duty to make sure to um, that patients regardless of their culture regardless of their of any language barriers that they are still getting, you know, top quality dietetic advice. And on that note, if there is a dietitian that perhaps hasn't got much experience of working with patients from culturally diverse backgrounds, how could they go about upskilling their knowledge in, in that area to best support their patients? Well, um, I feel like as we've spoken about social media a lot, looking online is a definitely a good, a good place to go and kind of finding finding more of these dietitians within this space that are spreading awareness. Um, there, there are certain articles and resources that are available online that, that are written by dietitians for dietitians for that support as well. 
Um, and it might also be worth speaking to senior members of staff if it's not something that you feel is currently being addressed in your trust. So that was something that I had done um, at, at my, in my trust. So as I've spoken about, there's certain initiatives that we'd started. So a few years, years ago, there was a tutorial available for students about ethnic diets, um, which I, I kind of uh, was mentioned in one of my one-to-ones with my manager. And then she'd said, if that's something that you wanted to revamp and make your own and then do that going forward, then that's something that you're more than welcome to do. So that's something that I'm doing at the moment. Um, and staff are also quite keen to also attend. So it just shows that people are, are receptive and willing. So going going to your trust and kind of looking within. And then also if that's not something that, that you feel is kind of beneficial, then looking outwards and looking to trusted resources online. Definitely. And, and thinking back to my student days, I know when I trained at King's in London, they did include um, cultural diets as part of the one of the modules that we did. Um, what were your experiences, both of you? Did you have um, sort of that experience included in your dietetic training, Jasmine? I can only remember one lecture, um, to be honest. I mean, it's many moons ago, but um, the fact that it hasn't been printed in my mind, that just, you know, speaks for itself, really. Um, yeah, which, yeah, I think it was only one lecture um, that I had. And I, and kind of currently I'm finding that some um, staff or some dietitians might turn to be, you know, the only um, BAME dietitian within their team to ask them you know questions on resources and things so I think it's important for the dietitian to um look the information themselves first you know like um and Johnny said there is quite a lot of written articles and resources out there at the moment by different organizations so um I mean by all means ask within the department but definitely do kind of use um your own initiative and your own kind of research skills and your own dietetic skills to see what other resources are out there are there any textbooks that you both recommend um, or specific websites that we can perhaps link to in the show notes? I think I've heard a few dietitians mentioning the, um, I've forgotten the name of it now, the cultural, the handbook of cultural foods. Yeah, the, yeah. the red book. The red book. Yeah, with the yeah. map <laughs> of the yeah. world on it. Um, yeah, there's that one. Um, can we say organisations? British Heart Foundation has got quite a few. Diabetes UK. Diabetes UK. As well, they've Anything. got. Mm-hmm. Even the I renal see... team. Oh, sorry, mm-hmm. talking over each other now. <laughs> oh, God. Um, yeah, I was going to say the, um, you know, have you seen the Carbs and Cows books? They've got they've yeah. got a new one available as well, haven't they, with more ethnic foods? Well, which food, I thought, yeah. Yeah, which I thought was, was really good, like as a, especially as a, like a, a pictorial, like aid when we're back in clinics face-to-face again, using that um, with patients as well. Maybe if there's a language barrier or anything, you could just say what what looks like your portion size because there's a picture there as well, then that could overcome that barrier as well. So I think something like that is, is really good. Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. Nice visual way of, of bringing the information to life as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to ask you both, um, coming outside of our individual hospital and dietitian teams, thinking more broadly of organisations in the nutrition and dietetic industry, um, why do you think that some organisations have not been engaging with important movements such as Black Lives Matter and also what's been going on in India with farmers' rights? Um, 
let's begin with uh, Jasmine. Do you have any yeah. thoughts as to why these organisations are perhaps not engaging with these themes? Yeah, I think there's, I mean, I can't speak on behalf of the organisation, but I think um, in particular with um, the Black Lives Matter um, movement, I think there was a lot of, or there could have been a lot of worry that because it might have been seen as being associated with a political stance or a political party. And um, I think Black Lives Matter as a, as the words in themselves, you know, it's just a, you know, a short sentence, but I think that it's been linked to so many political um, people and viewpoints that um, I'm sure, yeah, some organisations didn't want to comment on it because of that reason. Um, it could also be that they just they just weren't aware of what was going on. Just simply, they just didn't know. Um, I mean, it's I find that quite hard to believe that you know something as big as that could be missed. Um, but I guess if you if your circle is quite small and you and your circle in itself isn't diverse, then I can see how things like that can be missed. Um, and I think there's also the the worry of saying the wrong thing. So in which case, nothing is said. Um, which can almost do more more damage. So just not not so to not hear that there is that support or there is that acknowledgement of what's going on, and to say yes, we know what's going on, and we are here for you. That in itself is more is you know a perfect thing to say, but but saying nothing, um, yeah, can almost do more more damage. But um, yeah, that, that's why I think on that. Anjani, do you have anything to add about why you think organisations aren't engaging with movements like Black Lives Matter and also farmers' rights in India, for example? Um, I do feel like I agree with a lot of what Jasmine had said as well. Um, but I do definitely feel like there's a political aspect to the movements, um, well, to people's thoughts towards the movements, especially the farmers' rights in India. Um, so some organisations might be distancing themselves uh, to try and avoid the controversy, which I don't necessarily agree with. Um, but at the end of the day, I feel like it's not about politics. It's about what's, what you believe is right and wrong. Um, and in the context of the farmers protests, it's about the farmers trying to engage in meaningful dialogue um, with the government. So that's why I feel like a lot of people are tending to, especially organisations, are trying to distance themselves um, also from like a personal and like an individual level, I feel like people are quite scared of saying something wrong because it is quite an emotive topic. And there's also lots of spreading of misinformation online. So it's quite difficult to try and know what's what's true and what, what isn't really. Absolutely. There is um, a, a positive example of an organisation who did um, get on board with the Black Lives matter movement and that's the london branch of the british dietetic association um jasmine i know you were recently the panelist and also a moderator for the event i'm really interested to hear how the event was received by other dietitians and what the key learnings were from the event yeah um thank you yeah so the um response from the viewers we had quite a mix of um dietitians and dietetic students and um I believe just people who were just interested in dietetics but weren't you know a student or a dietitian um the feedback was really positive i think they really appreciated the honesty um of the panelists that we had speak um and the conversations that kind of um kind of happened after that as well um in terms of the key learning points i think a lot of there's a lot of um own emphasis on um self-educating and self-awareness of matters like this and um, similar to what we said um, earlier, so just kind of making sure that people are aware that, that cases like this is happening and, 
you know, seeing what we can do to prevent things like that from happening again, um, or seeing what we can do to minimize um, the the effects that that's ha- that is having on be our patients, um, dietitians, and people pursuing a career in dietetics. Um, I think another learning point was to not make um, presumptions or um, kind of uh, or yeah, assuming things be of the patient of student of dietetic students or of dietitians um just because um you're speaking to a patient who you know they're um that they're they're from jamaica doesn't mean that they eat jamaican food you know 24 hours a day all the time um so it's just kind of ask, asking the right questions and in the right way so um we definitely kind of caught that from our talk um just seeing and i think the other point was the kind of question any unconscious biases that um, people had so if they did make a negative presumption on someone simply because of the way that they looked um it's just to kind of have people okay think why where is that you know um thought come from what's the root of that thought and what can you do to change your thinking to make sure that you're not having these um preconceived ideas or um perceptions of, of a person be it a student a patient or a um, dietitian yeah, and I think those are really um, helpful and practical tips to have in the back of your mind when discussing this topic. Just wondering if we can link that in with, for example, a dietitian running a face-to-face consultation with a patient, taking a diet history or they're about to launch into discussing dietetic advice for a particular condition. How would you take that into consideration um, when meeting a patient for the first time when you don't necessarily know about their cultural background or religious beliefs, for example, what sorts of questions might be useful to put to the patient? Um, so if all these, all, if that sort of information wasn't readily available on their um, patient record, just saying something like, do you mind if I ask, would you be comfortable telling me? Um, I, um, even just saying something like, have I pronounced your name right? Um, is there, um, would you like um, a language interpreter? Would you want someone in the room with you? Um, would, I'm just trying to think of more examples. Um, would you want this translated? It's just kind of thinking of the patient holistically and whatever makes them comfortable. Um, I think during our studies, we're kind of trained to almost kind of go straight into the diet history and straight into the information gathering. When sometimes the more, most important thing is just making the patient feel comfortable. Um, and if that ends up taking, you know, the length of the consultation, then it takes length of the consultation. But then you'll know when you rebook them and see them next time, you've already built that rapport and they're more likely to open up to you. Um, I think you don't have to necessarily be the same culture as the patient to show empathy, to show that you care and to show that you're willing to listen to them. Um, yeah. Thank you. Anjani, do you have anything to add based on your experiences of, of working with patients? Um, again, I agree with a lot of, of what Jasmine had said and, and a lot of the examples that she was giving. I found myself nodding along because they're things that I, that I thankfully I do kind of uh, I do say to patients as well. Um, you know, in that initial in that initial consultation, just ask, like, have I pronounced your, your name correctly? Um, and just kind of apologise if you feel like you haven't. And then also kind of asking if a patient might want an interpreter. Um, they might have a basic understanding of English, but then that doesn't mean that they can carry the, their way through the consultation. So that's something that's happened quite recently with a patient of mine. Um, so she, uh, we started the consultation and I asked her, do you want an interpreter? And initially she'd said no. But then further on through the conversation, I found that she was giving a lot of yes, like one word answers 
and it, and I felt like she didn't really understand and that even became apparent even though it was a telephone conversation um so then I asked her again like are you sure you don't want an interpreter shall I call back um and then she opened up and then she said actually I, I would like one um so it's just it's just making it clear you know I suppose I would say that probably as dietitians and probably biased that we are quite empathetic in, in individuals and so that's probably our communication skills are a strength. Um, so I think that that's something that we can definitely pick up on um, with, a, with our patients as well. Thank you for sharing that. Um, just as we come towards the end of the podcast, I have a couple of questions about sort of future directions with dietetics and um, the route that we're heading in and, and how you think diversity is going to be incorporated into this. So firstly, it's Dietitians Week in June, as many of our listeners will be aware. Um, the theme for this year, 2021, is all about celebrating the diversity of our members. What would you both like to see happening during Dietitians Week? to celebrate the diversity of our members. Perhaps Jasmine will begin with you. Yeah, um, I think just like celebrating um, examples of, of diverse teams, be it diverse in culture, diverse in age groups, diverse in qualifications. I think um, there's not many people might be aware of, but you know, dietetics could be a second degree for some people. It could be a postgrad route. They might have... Um, degree interests in other things so I think um, celebrating diversity in terms of kind of where that dietitian has come from as well is really important you know education come from um, having di celebrating dietitians who might have done apprenticeships or who might have worked with di as dietetic assistants before um, and I think also celebrating diversity throughout all bands of dietetics so um, kind of right, right from the ground up and just showing how having um, a kind of a close knit kind of working team that has a representation from um, a kind of across the board, how that's benefited the team and helped them be it flourish or help them um, increase their knowledge in, in certain areas um, would be really great to see. Thank you. Anjani, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I would say that the, the point that you made about dietitians coming from all backgrounds is a really it's a really good one and not one that I'd considered myself before. But you'd you'd mentioned it because say my myself, like and my course, um, around 50% of our class was mature students. So, you know, it does kind of teach you that um it's not just straight out of A levels that people uh, choose this route into dietetics. So that's something to highlight. Um I would say that that they've been quite good at this BDA in, in previous years, but then also doing it again this time is using social media as well um, to kind of highlight the diverse di diversity of the dietetic work workforce. Um, so that could be across all aspects. So I think you know, that's a great visual um, visual cue for um, potential patients, for people that they can see that dietitians, what, what we look like, who we are, where we come from. And just before I forget on that note, you mentioned earlier that there are a couple of exciting new initiatives in the pipeline on social media that are aiming to promote diversity in dietetics, particularly cultural diversity. Are you able to tell us a little bit more about what's going on behind the scenes and what dietitians can look forward to in the future? Yep. So, um, well, by the time that the podcast will have come out, I feel like the event might have, might have happened already, but then there will be future events um, in the pipeline as well. So... 
um, that we've got a Zoom that just the audience keeps on getting bigger and bigger in all honesty that we didn't really anticipate. So we've got lots of dietitians, including myself and Jasmine from all different backgrounds. And we'll be talking about um, ethnic diets and for all from different backgrounds. And we will be talking about why it's important to know about all of these different diets and how that affects our dietetic practice. And um, we've also got um, somebody who's a plant-based dietitian who's also from an ethnic background, and she'll be talking about um, how that kind of affects her lifestyle choices and how that fits in with her with her diet with her ethnic diet as well. Um, so yeah, it's quite exciting really that there's all these things that are coming up. Um, and I know that there's another dietitian called Ty, so you might have seen her on Instagram called Ty Talks Nutrition. So she's um, spearheading like trying to make the eat well guide more culturally appropriate. So that's something as a petition that's out there at the moment. So we're quite excited to see what will happen and come of that really. And how do dietitians join your Zoom group to discuss cultural diversity? Is there a way that they can sign up? Um, Jasmine, do you know whether there are any places? (laughs) Yeah, I think um, places, if they're not all full up, they're very, if they're not limited, they're all full up by now. Um, But I think just um, just encourage um, listeners to follow, be it myself um, and and Anjani, or um, I'm just thinking the rest of dietitians, Ty. um, So yeah, we're all on social media, um, the ethnic dietitians, Instagram page as well. They're really good at reposting events and things that are happening um, online. Um, what else? What other places? Yeah, so there's quite a few social media accounts that people can go to to um, find um, where these Zooms and um, kind of live short live talks will be happening. So, yeah, definitely keep an eye out. Definitely. And we'll link to both of your social media handles in the show notes and obviously on social media as well. Just before we finish, I want to ask you what you both think the future of dietetics looks like in terms of diversity and how do you think the profession needs to change in order to move forward with the times? Um, Anjani, let's come to you first on that one. Um, I'm hoping personally that because of the representation of more diverse dietitians online, then that means that more uh, BAME students will be encouraged to take that leap and you know, take it as a career. I think that the profile of dietitians in general is kind of increasing because lots of people are interested in food and as social media grows and, you know, we've got more of a presence across media, then that means that more people will be encouraged to join the profession. Um, In some aspects, I'm hoping that recent government changes in terms of funding wouldn't hinder people from BAME backgrounds, um, you know, to apply for for dietetics or other healthcare related courses that are mainly placement based um so i'm i'm hoping that it will still be that that there will be lots of fame students coming into the profession thank you jasmine any thoughts on the future directions yeah absolutely i think it would also be great for um, more trusts to be able to um, accommodate people who would want to go down the apprenticeship route into dietetics I know that it's available and um, the BDA has got a lot of information on it, but I don't know if many people are aware of it as a route into dietetics um, or if enough um, NHS trusts and dietetic departments have the facilities and the capacity to host it, really. So I think that'd be really great if that was possible. So, again, that just kind of increases the amount of people who could possibly go into dietetics um, from that route as well. 
Brilliant, thank you. And I should mention that we are going to have a part two of diversifying dietetics later in the year, where we're going to be speaking to a range of dietitians who are um, doing more great work to campaign for changes, not just within the dietetics profession, but within wider government levels and nutrition policies to promote diversity. Um, so we look forward to sharing that information with our listeners soon. In the meantime, I'd really like to thank you both for your time today. And our next episode of Dietitian Cafe will be coming very soon. 